It is a scene common to every Apollo movie I've ever seen. The pre-flight go, no-go countdown. Every flight has a pre-flight checklist to make sure everything is prepared and operational. In the movies, it's almost always a go because we all know mundane delays aren't good for movie watchers. But I remember waking up on early April 10th, 1981, excited to watch STS-1, the first shuttle launch ever. I and the world had to wait. Due to a computer error, the launch was scrubbed and rescheduled for April 12th when the successful launch happened. Pre-flight checklists are a matter of safety. They're also about getting it right. It seems like we're in that time now, counting down until we prepare for our relaunch. But more than ticking away the time, we should also be preparing and checking to make sure everything is in place. With this idea in mind, I welcome Margaret Hotsey, Mountain Sky Conference co-lay leader. Margaret, say hello. Hello to everyone. I welcome Nathan Adams, lead pastor of Park Hill United Methodist Church. Nathan, say hello. Hey everyone, it's good to be with you all. I welcome Steve Easterday McPadden, pastor of First United Methodist Church Grand Junction. Steve, how about you say hello? Hi everyone, it's good to be with you um, for this uh, conversation. And I welcome Amy Go, jurisdictional conference lay delegate and member of Smoky Hill United Methodist Church in Centennial, Colorado. Amy, how about you say hello to our group? Hi, everyone. So thank you all for joining us for this conversation about pre-flight checklists and how we prepare well uh, for relaunching church. And so maybe I'll just start with this question. What do you think is essential to prepare for now while we're still under restrictions before we launch. And if we can, let's even think beyond uh, safety protocols for a moment. What is, in addition to safety, things we have to be thinking about? Nathan, you wanna give it a go? Sure, the, the first thing that I, I think about when you ask that, uh, Jeff, is if we, if we go beyond safety is around expectations and how can we set proper or good expectations uh, for folks that we'll be ministering with um, and for. So who will be in our building? What does that look like? And what are the expectations of what things will look like uh, as we begin to launch? Maybe we're on the upstream of the rocket going up or something, but um, what are the expectations? So that we don't have a large group of folks thinking, hey, um, the restrictions have been lifted uh, by our bishop or by our mayor or by the governor or whomever it might be. We're gonna head right back in and, and go to our, our life as it was uh, back in early March and before then. And so how can we be having conversations now with our staff, if we have staff, our key lay leaders, if we have lay leaders, uh, and with a larger congregation to say, you know, that, that church and our life together is going to look differently and that's okay. That's gonna be good still, but it's gonna be different and it's not going to look 
the way that it did before. So that when we say, hey, here's the next step of what we're doing, uh, you know, we can lower uh, people's maybe disappointment or frustration or even anger uh, and then continue to just be in communication with them that what we were doing before is gonna look differently and that's okay, uh, but here's what it's going to look like and here's why. I would say along with what Nate said, communication will be essential and it has to be abundant communication because we all hear different snippets of things in different times or we may miss some form of communication. But along with setting expectations, I think having abundantly clear communication will be essential. I had in mind the image of the um, flight attendants. This is a, the shuttle flight, so you probably don't have flight attendants. And Nate mentioned having the communication, and I think that's just absolutely vital. The <clears throat> communication with like the ushers and uh, all, all of the, the, the custodians, all of the people who are involved in this flight um, need to be brought on board soon so that they can really uh, get into the whole the whole idea of it. And then uh, just when you talk about taking a flight, you talk about what you have to leave behind and what you bring. What luggage are we going to, to bring? What are we going to fill it with? And um, there are things we're going to have to leave behind. And we grieve that as we take those things out of our suitcase. Um, so... Nathan, let me, let me, um, how are you helping set expectations for your church in this moment right now? Trying to set expectations with folks just by being as honest as I can be with them um, around our return and what that looks like and letting them know, as Margaret said, you know, the places where I'm grieving, like, oh, that's going to look differently. This is hard news, but here I am as you know, your, your lead pastor telling you this so that you know where, what I'm thinking and, and the decisions and the information that I'm getting, whether that be from our conference leadership or from health officials and, you know, trying to get people informed of that, especially some of our key uh, leaders, our laity and our, our staff so that they're not being blindsided. But I think being willing uh, to be vulnerable and the grief that we have as leaders um, around the different changes that we're experiencing and the ones that we have to uh, implement and put into place. I think that's one of the things that I've been learning the last couple of months is the amount of times, you know, that I've had to tell people no and disappoint them. No, we can't do that. No, we have to do it this way. No, we're not ready yet. Uh, I've started writing a weekly uh, newsletter article that we send out with our weekly email that touches upon some of this information. Um, so that folks that are reading that in the larger life of our church for the same thing, know what, what our thinking is, what my thinking is, what our expectations are. I think as Amy was talking, one of the things that popped into my mind, you know, we talk about communication is we're all, as we've heard many times in all different areas of our lives, we're all learning on the fly on how to do this. And that's particularly true as we talk about church and going back to being whatever church looks like. I think part of being a, a good leader and communicating well is also being willing to say, you know what, we thought this was gonna happen by this time, or we thought this was how we were gonna do things, and it's not, we're gonna do it differently. We were wrong, um, we need to adjust, and we've gotten more information, or whatever the reason is, but being willing to say, you know, own up when we made the wrong choice. Amy or Margaret, um, what's the most important thing as we prepare, do you, do you think the lay people need to hear from, from leaders? 
clergy leaders, especially in this time? I think they have to have hope that, <clears throat> that we are going to continue. Uh, we've been hearing the church has left the building and it's been wonderful because we are still meeting and we are, <clears throat> excuse me, we're still getting together. We've had wonderful things starting, uh, but that we will be able to come back together in some function. And I think we just need to, to be able to share that with people in a lot of ways. I I'm, I'm keep hearing from people that they don't know what's going on. Uh, <clears throat> and so we need to share it um, in writing and we need to share it somehow verbally and, and with phone calls. I very much appreciate what Nate was saying about having open, honest communication. Um, there are so many things that we don't know. None of us have ever lived through a pandemic. We're going to get things wrong and that's okay because that will help us figure out what we need to lean into and what maybe we need to get rid of or try differently. So um, open communication and honesty, I think will be very important during this time. So I wanna move on to sort of our second question and, and Steve, I'm gonna call on you in just a moment. We obviously can't neglect safety and that is probably the first and foremost concern on many of our minds. And we are releasing with this resource uh, a statement and a sort of guidelines about uh, how to manage safety and health in this time as we consider if and when and how we reopen. How do we consider many of the traditional practices in light of the ongoing restrictions like music or offerings or the sacraments? I sent a letter out to the congregation um, the first week of March uh, indicating that we were looking at, at live streaming our services, which we had not um, had not been doing, but we were, we had about half of the needs in place, the equipment needs in place to get that done, um, and sent out a letter just um, not asking for more money, asking for people to consider um, EFT, electronic fund transfer, for even a period of time, even maybe only um, a few months or whatever it might be that they were comfortable allowing that to happen, so that so that the um, the steadiness, I guess the cash flow, the stream of income would be would be there. Um, and their discipleship, that element of their discipleship of giving was, was in place as well. One of the things was just to see what we could do to stabilize the flow of, 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 of the revenue. The other thing that we started doing immediately, of course, is calling attention to the giving page on our website. But we began to realize that, you know, that, and I shifted the element because we're, we're doing live streaming on Sunday mornings. The other colleagues do recorded services through the week and then post them Saturday night or something. And we do a live stream on Sunday morning um, just, just because of the praise band music and then the traditional music that's really been very good. And, and the way that that's done, it's just easier for us to do a live stream. And so we, I implement what I call a time of reflection after the message and prayer, which is typically in the offering place. And at that point, usually up the first few services, I said at the very beginning of the service, here's where you can go if you want to give during this time period. Um, and then it was it was pretty much uh, a non-issue after a while. People have been finding a way to support the church, either through the giving page, through sending their checks in in the mail, dropping them off. Or, but that time of reflection, there's usually a special music piece, and it's and it's quiet. It allows people to pray quietly. It allows them to go to the giving page if they want, but they don't have to. They can go yesterday or in the coming week or whatever it might be. So there's a little bit of a relaxing. I found a relaxing around the offering 
not taking place that was absolutely transforming to me. I, I just didn't expect that to be the case. Others, what other elements of worship or congregational life do you think are going to be changed pretty dramatically, both in online, but also as we may start gathering in small group? What suggestions might we give to those listening? Music is a big thing for me, and I hear this from so many people, and I hear that we're not going to be able to sing because the projection um, goes up to 25 feet, and so people who, for whom the music is the major part of the service, <clears throat> sorry to you pastors, um, but um, that's a lot of people just love the music, and that's one of the big things that we have in our online service is the music, because our church is, that's just what it's known for. And um, so how to have a service without music, I think is going to be a or without live music is going to be a challenge. And without hymn singing, I can see where you could record hymns and people could just kind of hum along quietly. You know, one of the That's things, Margaret, one of the things that had been tossed around and, and we have not discussed this. And one of the lessons I learned in the last two weeks was to make sure before any decisions are made that those things are communicated and discussed. But I, I wonder about toying with the idea that, that some have suggested that even when we come back, will the hymnals really be used and touched and handled? Um, I'm, I'm not sure that they're going to be. And somebody su suggested, maybe we should just give away the hymnals. Let people come in and, and take a hymnal home. And no, they no. Then, yes, yes. <laughs> no, there they, are people, and we might not be able to use them for a while. Them, huh, Mar what, Margaret? We might not be able to use them for a while because I understand there would be issues with that. But for a lot of people who really need, want to see the notes when they're singing, we need then to have the hymnals. Then they should bring their hymnal to church with them, just like they should bring their Bible to church what with them. What about new notes. people? What In about new people? Days, <laughs> they probably aren't going to sing the hymns if they're new people. But, but the point is, the point is that we could, that what about sending hymnals home with the people who would love to have one at home? They're an amazing devotional tool. You know, it's not just a Sunday morning sing-along. It is a beautiful um, expression of the theology of the church, um, the, the hymns that are in the faith we sing and, uh, and worship and song. There are some incredible expressions of the theology of the church that are great for devotional times, too. And so why shouldn't they have that in their hands? Um, and then they can bring them. They, you know, bring your hymnal with you to the church when, when, if and when that, that time comes. But I just think it's a great creative way to make use of a resource that is so much more than just a Sunday morning resource. And I think that's the point of this conversation is we are going to have to come up with some creative ways to um, address some things that we've had in place for a long time. Nathan, is your church thinking about any ideas about, uh, about music and what to do with music in the future? We're having the conversations like everyone else is. We're really anticipating that for the foreseeable future that we will continue to live stream. Um, and that will be our main focus or our main way of worshiping. Um, the ideas of uh, trying to limit or figure out how to limit um, who can come to worship and when and how and all of that um, seems a little mind boggling, frankly, uh, especially when we add in the singing component. Um, you know, these folks can come in, this many people at this time. Uh, we're a large enough church that trying to, to limit that feels a little daunting. And so we're really are 
leaning into our live streaming. Um, as I was listening uh, to Margaret and Steve talk, I, you know, I couldn't help but to think of the sing-alongs that Disney's been doing on ABC the last couple of weeks, or at least there's been two of them. One was last night. Um, and this was volume two, which means that volume one, of course, must have been really popular. And so they decided that they needed to do a second one. Um, and so I wonder, you know, as we think about worship, we think about our life together around singing, maybe worship looks differently. And there is when we're back in person and there isn't a, a singing uh, capability or a singing aspect to it, but we provide some type of alternative, you know, that's live streamed later in the week or that's available later in the week that has more music for folks that helps continue to connect them. Uh, to be able to participate in the life of music that way, but no, I don't. We haven't. We haven't figured out. We don't have that answer, the definitive answer on how to do singing and worship. And you know, I think the other aspect of it is there's a part of me that was like that wants to say, you know, when we're back uh, to in-person worship, however that might be, uh, you know, well, just the leaders will lead worship or will lead singing rather. And the reality, of course, is that you know, folks are going to want to sing if they know the song. And so, um, you know, how do we have a, a musical aspect that discourages singing, which seems kind of contrary to what most of us are used to or wanting to happen. Can so, I jump in, Nate? Uh, please do, yeah. Let me jump in and, and, and suggest something that, that I think will be part of the expansion of what does church look like. Um, and I've got, when we get into the next question you want to ask me to address, Jeff, then I'll get into this a little bit more. But I wonder what do we, you know, what do we do? How do we encourage our people to create a worship space at home that looks, that is, that sanctuary space where singing can be a part without it feeling weird? I mean, part of it's going to be, it's going to be weird if you're just there by yourself and how does that feel? Because I'm like you, Nathan, um, live streaming is here to stay and I'm excited about that. Um, we, we as a church leadership body need to figure out how do we, you know, negotiate or navigate the complexities around who who can be here, who can't, who wants to be here, and who really is very content to say, you know, I don't want to be around that situation. And what do we do to enhance their experience? And part of it is to encourage them to create a worship space in their home. I mean, what does it look like to have a worship space that is your worship space? So that's that's kind of one question. Um, and the other piece of it, I think, you know, Jeff, you had asked about sacramental type um, ministry and, and what are the, you know, communion comes to mind because that's a little bit more regular for us. Um, baptisms would be a, another part of that. Um, but communion, especially, I was, I was raised in the Catholic Church and I just could not picture communion um, with in, in an online way. But my Wesleyan heritage and, and heart at this point in time really saw the body gathered, whether it's, you know, if two or three are gathered in his name, there Christ is in our midst, whether that's in person or, or in a, a virtual online community, that's not limiting to Christ, it's limiting to us. And, and so how do we do an online presentation of, this, of the consecration that's meaningful? And, and one of the things that, that I was real excited to do um, is, is, you know, we kind of matched um, PowerPoint or pictures from the, the web to the lyrics of a Cindy Morgan song, The Last Supper, and that became the consecration. We just let that happen with, that was consecration, and we just moved into receiving communion as a, as a body with whatever people had. Some people had crackers, some people had pretzels and coffee, some people had other things, and 
And so my, my sense of wrestling with my theological heritage has been a gift of this time period because it has allowed me to say, what's, what's important? Is the form important or the essence important for what we're doing? And I think if we can, if we let the essence guide us, then the new forms will feel natural after a while. And it's the essence of ministry and that we don't feel like we're losing anything. We're actually expanding and gaining. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Amy, I want to, uh, you and I spoke uh, before we started recording a little bit about small groups in your church. And, and that's another part of congregational life. I mean, we often think about worship uh, and what are we going to do about worship? Uh, but there's other ways that we're gathering that we used to gather that we may not be able to do in the same way. What have you learned from your church's experiences about small group work that you think will carry over even as we start to rethink um, church long-term and relaunch into some hybrid of online and uh, maybe gathering or gathering with restrictions? So one particular thing that I want to highlight um, is, so we've been gathering as Sunday school classes. We have four adult Sunday school classes and then various small groups. Um, we have made an extra effort to continue the, especially the Sunday school classes. They don't all meet on Sunday anymore, which is fantastic because a lot of us have small kids and we engage with them in their Sunday school class Sunday morning. And then we either meet depending upon the class on Wednesday or Friday. And that has been fantastic because we're able to do some sort of midweek check-in. And in fact, my particular Sunday school class said that no longer is enough. Let's meet for a little bit Sunday evening and also Wednesday evening, just to touch base and also continue our spiritual growth. So that has been very life-giving to our group too, and I don't foresee that changing. So time limits are no longer, um, we're getting rid of Sunday only church. Absolutely. In this season. And how do we draw into that? What I, what I think with that is, um, we have a lot of groups that have been meeting online um, and we started an eight o'clock devotional every morning. Circles are meeting, Sunday school classes are meeting, study groups are meeting. But a lot of our older people are not comfortable being online. So perhaps we could establish some training somehow um, to make people comfortable with this. One of the conversations we've been having around small groups uh, at Park Hill is that groups that were established uh, before uh, we went virtually are having amazingly awesome attendance. Um, higher numbers for every group and every committee that we have uh, throughout the life of our church. But we've tried to do a, a handful of new groups um, or new small groups or new studies and those haven't gone uh, quite as well unless uh, they're led by a trusted person, meaning whether that's a pastor or a lay leader or someone who's really well respected or we're, we're doing a church-wide series and so we have a, um, a study that's a discussion group tied directly into that right after worship and that's been fairly well attended. But one of our struggles has been how do we uh, connect with folks that, had, that weren't connected before uh, we went virtually and that continues to be uh, a challenge for us. We, we want to continue to welcome new folks to our community and to do so 
uh, in a meaningful way where we're continuing to help grow disciples and not simply folks that are tuning in to see what we're up to. Um, and so that's been a challenge for us. And I think that's part of the pre-launch conversation is how are we gonna continue to do that or how will we do that uh, as we move forward? So Steve, I wanna understand that your church had an experiment in trying to gather again in some ways uh, and that you learned a lot. And so if you, if you could share a bit about what you learned from your experience of, of trying to gather again and, and how you might approach it differently um, moving forward. You bet. Um, you know, you're kind to say that our church had the experience of, of a pre-launch opening. Um, our, our church was subjected to a pre-launch opening. Maybe that's the best way to say this. <laughs> um, it's something that, that, that I ended up making a decision on an impulse for that, that created um, some, some hurt feelings and, and a sense of being left behind, um, staff members who, who, who felt you know, betrayed about that. And, and it was really, really a painful time, to be, to be honest. Um, and some of the things that Amy and Nathan and Margaret have already said are, are a bunch of the learning pieces, you know, and it, it tends to be mechanics. Some of its mechanics is um, keeping people involved and informed uh, and, and communicated with ahead of time and, and not being, um, you know, seduced by any of a number of temptations to get, be out on the cutting edge or to, you know, to be setting a pace setter in the community or anything like that. Um, so that there are some, so there are some of those learnings, but I think that what I'd like to address more is some of the heart stuff that happened, heart stuff that happened um, in in all of this. One is that um, God and I worked on a on a really really powerful sermon on Monday, the, on Sunday the third, which followed the Saturday newspaper article that that launched all of this, um, and the the text was. Um, the, the post-Exodus experience of the Israelites in uh, Exodus chapter 16 and the imagery around it was to realize that we were not, we're not going back to Egypt. Um, we're not going back to what was. And I realized that in my, the only image that I had was how do we get back to what was rather than what is God calling us to and new possibilities. Um, so my, my vision wasn't God-sized enough. It was, you know, how do, we, how do we go back? How do we get back to the pots of meat and, the, and you know, the, the unending bread and the water that was all always there? Um, and we can't. And, and the truth of the matter is all of those wonderful things that the Israelites were remembering, you know, they were glossing over the stinging whips of the taskmasters and the unending work and the, the, the people who were dying of exhaustion and right beside them as they sought to satisfy, um, the, let's say Marcus Borg would call it the domination system around them um, and over them. And so it became apparent that we were not going back to Egypt. It was also apparent as that sermon unfolded that we cannot stay in the desert. We are going to die in the desert. And so I think more than anything, it was a realization that neither of those options were going to work. Um, and as somebody said, Margaret said earlier, it's about letting go. We have to figure out, we have to learn to let go of those things that no longer give life and embrace the move forward that does. And the learning point for me was that I am not the sole voice 
in that process. Some words were given around flexibility earlier um, in a plan, and we've got to be flexible about that. We, we must be able to say, I really screwed up here, or maybe not I screwed up, but I am so glad for these other voices around that can bring correction and accountability. We're learning together as we go. I will not have the answers. None of us is going to have the answers in this going forward. Another learning point, and therefore we all need to be in this conversation, key leaders and, and for me staff, about how, what to communicate to the congregation, you know, and then how to gain, you know, some of their perspectives on some of this is really, really an important, uh, an important part of this. Um, I can't say enough that, that one of the most important things for us talking about coming back together that I had it was a very strong learning point afterwards was our custodial staff. How do we keep our custodial staff safe and protected? So I guess that the last thing that I would offer Jeff in this whole thing is, is as far as a learning point that I'm really grateful for is how committed our leadership and our staff are to this process. Um, you know, I, um, I, I feel like I, you know, I got things, the cart way ahead of the horse and there were some things that I had to, to really take some stock of my own inner life, but my shadow side, as Pete Scazzaro talks about in Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Um, but I think a, a, a serendipity was realizing just how committed the leadership around me are to a healthy model of visioning and going forward. And, and that that's a, an incredible source of support and strength um, and confidence, hope, all of those good words that, that, I, that I really take from this experience. You know, one of the things I think we're going to learn in this is that it, we're going to have to fail and try again over and over, that I don't think we're going to get this right the first time. And as, as there is a lot of pressure to gather yeah. quickly and to go back to what we knew so quickly, um, and part of what we hope from this is, you know, the pre-launch list is a long list. Uh, anyone want to respond or uh, to Steve before we move on to the next question? Anything come up that, that you thought about uh, hearing Steve's experience? I thought about um, when he's talking about being um, in the wilderness with the Israelites. Um, I found a book last spring called um, How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going by Susan Beaumont. And it has to do with the experience of liminality. And I confess I had never heard the word liminality before reading the book. But it's those periods between, the in-between times, and how you have to be able to stay in those in-between times and still plan. So it's not something that you can hurry through and say, well, we're to next week we're going to do this. Because right. you simply don't know. Moses, they spent 40 years in the desert, didn't they? Um, but it's, it's the idea that uh, there is something to be learned while you're there and not to think that you have to get to the other side too soon. So in our closing, uh, our closing question, I want to return to the question of discipleship and the question of involvement uh, that Nate, perhaps most of all so far, is, has talked about. Many of our churches have been reaching a wider audience with online worship than they did with in-person worship, sometimes three and four fold. But we know that that's kind of an audience. That's not necessarily a congregation yet. Right. And that's certain that perhaps may not even be um, 
fully engaged disciples. So what are sort of the first steps? What's sort of the preparatory steps towards engaging these people that have been connecting with us online uh, and in other ways virtually to engage them more deeply in the congregation and more deeply in their own walk of discipleship? That's a good question, Jeff. I'm not sure that, you know, we don't have, I don't have an, an any a real meaningful response other than I did take something from the Jason Moore webinar that we had a few weeks ago on uh, on online worship and I think some of it is thinking about how do we utilize maybe um, staff but but others other volunteers who are very committed to reaching out and and connecting with people whose names we don't recognize when we see them on the screen particularly if it's a Facebook contact or um, or whatever we're whatever platform we're using there's there's an online greeting element that I had never thought of and that was really really a helpful thing to to see um, especially if, if that piece of, of discipleship is reaching out and how do we especially welcome new people um, you know as opposed to cultivating discipleship within the congregation that just happens to be online rather than in person yeah so of course you had shared the questions with us in advance and this is the one that i struggled with the most to be honest um because i don't think there is really one right way and a lot of it is dependent upon um the user or observer i don't i'm not sure it's it's the person watching it's up to them to be able to feel welcome to engage and um one thing that I did think about is that um, if we were to maybe start some sort of introductory classes and intentionally invite them to participate in, and as Nate had mentioned before, it would have to be someone that they see on camera and would be feel com would feel comfortable engaging with, um, that certainly is an opportunity to at least get some sort of initial closer connection and I think developing relationships, either in real life or off online, I think will have to be a critical component of that. We've been, we're trying to do several different things and I've been thinking about it more, more than I know most have. I try to think of television shows or news programs or things that I'm watching on the various screens and how do I approach them or how uh, do I engage with them or do they engage with me? I'm wondering if there are things that we as churches uh, can be learning and stealing and copying and uh, using as well. And I think of just my wife, I don't think she'd mind me sharing this, but we approach a lot of times our television shows differently that we watch. I'm there with my uh, iPhone looking up information on who the actors are looking up uh, you know is the show been canceled or why why did this storyline happen or why did this not happen and there are blogs and there are all types of websites that you can obviously be involved in what's hooking us into whatever it is that we're watching or participating how do we move from uh, you know a consumer into a participant how do we get involved in whatever the culture if you will is of that show and i think that's one of the things that we really are trying to do at park hill is if you if you worship with us if you watch online if you go to our youtube page later in the week or if you go to facebook page and see our posts or things like that we really want you to get a sense of who we are and what we're about what's our mission what makes us different uh, than other churches. Why would you want to click on our live stream button rather than someone else's live stream button? 
because I am so involved with laity programs, uh, with United Methodist Women and the Mission U program, and with the, the lay servants who have all kinds of, of classes out there, just uh, we're all learning to do things in different ways. And the lay servant programs are now going online, which is wonderful, the lay servant classes. Um, and uh, to me, one of the, the major things about church is that small group ability. And to just make sure that we have lots of lots of opportunities for people and also getting our, our youth. That's that's a concern for me with the, the we have programs for the, the kids, the young people, but um, they really need we need to figure out how to get them all together too. Well, I want to thank all of you for participating in this conversation. Um, it's a lot to think about as we move mm -hmm. forward and it's uh, there's a long list ahead of us before mm -hmm. probably any of us feel comfortable launching in full yeah. into yeah. whatever mm -hmm. is next. Um, but I hope that those listening will gain inspiration with from what you've shared. Uh, we'll get a few ideas uh, and we'll think about it deeper on a deeper level and and making sure to cover everything from the mundane to the high and lofty about how we rethink about sacraments to to the very basics of of um what's what are we going to use in the sacraments or how are we going to clean up afterward and so those listening today we hope that you'll continue and use the guidebook that we're creating for you you have conversations um this cannot be done alone. And I hope you hear that from our leaders today that we need to be in conversation with each other. And so we invite you to sort of take on this conversation for yourself. Consider what kind of pre-flight checklist you need to create for your congregations and your ministry settings. And then reach out, reach out for help when you're not sure of an answer. Do not be afraid to press the pause button. Mm -hmm. Right. That first launch went off on in way back in April of 1981 well, because they were willing to press the pause button on April 10th. And that's important too. participating in this conversation. And to my panelists, thank you again for being here. It was a, a great joy to be with you. Thank you.